If you're listening to this podcast on the day it was released, then today is signing day. Now, Lee and I were originally going to hold off and record this show a day later to accommodate the goings-on of signing day, but we've decided to go ahead with the usual schedule. Early signing day in the middle of December has really taken the shine away from the early February signing day we're all used to. Now, this new day, I think, has worked out remarkably well, in my opinion. With a vast majority of classes now locked up in December, coaching staffs now have the freedom to allocate resources to different recruiting priorities later in the cycle. The coaching staff does not need to continue recruiting someone who has already signed their letter of intent, instead focusing their attention on closing out the class from a smaller pool of players. While this has worked out great for the players and the programs, it certainly has not worked out great for people with college football-themed podcasts, i.e. Lee and I. With the absence of a big signing day in early February, there's simply nothing interesting that is happening right now related to Oklahoma football. I felt like we were spoiled in the two weeks after Oklahoma's season ended. We were treated to an almost deluge of daily news and rumors. And of course, that'll happen when you replace 60% of your defensive staff and bring in the number one free agent in all of college football. But since then, nada. It's possible that you disagree with me and bring up the fact that Saquon Barkley won NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year over Baker Mayfield. Maybe we should talk about that. Sure, I suppose that's something that in fact happened. However, when you notice that quarterbacks like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and Russell Wilson never won that award, and quarterbacks like RG3, Sam Bradford, and Vince Young have won that award, it's really easy for me to dismiss it as something that isn't particularly concerning. Now, what about Lincoln Riley's raise and Alex Grinch being paid about $1.4 million to become the team's new defensive coordinator? Is it newsworthy? Sure. Is it something I'm going to spend more than two minutes thinking about? Absolutely not. What's more, I'm of the opinion that any discussion of contracts that isn't player-centric and within the context of building a team is excruciatingly boring. So I'm not going to touch on that too heavily. Last year at this time, I wrote an opening take directly following the Eagles' victory over the Patriots in the Super Bowl. It was a wonderful football game that really showcased the new era of spread iso ball tendencies at the highest level in the world. While this year's Super Bowl did have some interesting things come out of it, it was also one of the least entertaining football games I have ever witnessed. Frankly, I thought the hideous halftime show paired with the hideous lineup of commercials was more newsworthy than the actual game. And my point is this. I really hate the football offseason. And there's something about this particular point in time that just feels very quiet. It's not necessarily a bad thing or even anything that can be surely avoided. It just really sucks. Does this happen every year? Why does this time feel more dull than last year at this time? I have no idea. Last week, C.D. Lamb posted a video on Twitter of him and Jalen Hurts working out in the new indoor facility. It was like a five-second clip of Hurts completing a back shoulder throw to Lamb. And that was it. And I watched it like 50 times. It's how starved I am for anything remotely interesting coming from Oklahoma football. I can't be the only one feeling this, right? It's only been a month since OU's season ended, and I already feel like we've been without it for a lifetime. Oh, spring practice, won't you please come as soon as possible? I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Another fake reverse. Come on this side. This is Dupree. He could go all the way. Here he goes. 
touchdown, Oklahoma. Scott, we saw why he was so highly recruited there. When he hit the 45-yard line, he turned it into third gear, and it was Katie Barr the door. All they saw was number 22 in the back of them. And OU running back, so interesting. They did an ESPN 30 for 30 on his time as a Sooner and beyond. He welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Evers. That man is Marcus Dupree. His 63-yard touchdown against Texas back on October the 9th, 1982, gave the Sooners a 7-0 lead at the Cotton Bowl. OU went on to beat Texas 28-22. Dupree played one full season as, as a Sooner back in 1982. Entering the 83 season, he was the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. But uh, after Oklahoma played Texas that year, Dupree just left and never returned to the team. That 30 for 30 that ESPN did was called The Best There Never Was. A lot of you have probably already seen it. Uh, and it came out in 2010, almost 10 years ago now. Wow. Um, and that movie, that documentary chronicled Dupree's life from high school recruitment on to the USFL and then even beyond that. So Marcus Dupree. He wore number 22 at Oklahoma. That's why we feature him in the intro here in February. The rest of the month, we're going to be showcasing other Sooners who wore number 22 during their careers. Hey, everybody. I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant a moment ago with the opening take. We'll bring him back here in a moment. And I feel similar to him in that we're now in the very worst time of the sports calendar because the Super Bowl has come and gone. We won't have a meaningful football game for roughly seven months. Seven. But still, we're going to talk some football today, beginning with the next part of our discussion about OU's defensive players that will benefit the most from the defensive coaching changes. You know, last week we talked defensive linemen. Today we're going to talk linebackers. So if you want to hear our chat about the D linemen last week, just go back to the podcast, episode 100. And just a quick tease on that one, we dedicated a decent amount of time to Neville Gallimore in that episode. After we discuss the linebackers on the show, then we'll talk a little bit of Kyler Murray. He had a bizarre Friday in Atlanta. He was hawking Gatorade, and uh, he had a very awkward appearance on the Dan Patrick show. It was a bit weird. I don't know if Grant's listened to it yet or watched it yet. So who knows how much he'll have to say, but uh, we'll play you a clip from the show, a condensed version of his interaction with Dan Patrick, just in case you haven't watched or heard it yet. And also, in addition to the Dan Patrick show thing, I saw a pretty dumb CBS Sports mock draft that did not include Kyler Murray in the first round. I'll explain why I think it's so dumb and Grant will weigh on, in on that as well. He also heard Grant mention Baker Mayfield and Saquon Barkley in the opening take. Might talk about that as well, the rookie of the year. All of that fun stuff. And finally, at the very end of the show, we'll talk about the Super Bowl and anything else that's on our minds at the moment. As always, check the episode details on iTunes and on SoundCloud. That way, you can see the exact times when we talk about specific subjects. So if you want to skip to something in particular, we try to make it as easy as possible for you to do that. All right. I feel like I've been talking a little bit too long here. So let's bring back in Grant. Grant, happy February. How's it going? Hi, Lee. It's going. It is uh, currently snowing very, very hard in the Twin Cities. Last week at this time when we were recording, there was a minus 60 degree wind chill. So good times continue here in the, uh, geez, I almost said the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why I said that. I, or I don't know why I was going to say that. But that I, doesn't I meant, make any sense. I meant the upper Midwest is what I actually meant. <laughs> So um, the Pacific God. Northwest kind of rolls off the tongue a lot better than the upper 
Midwest. Indeed. Maybe that's and so this is actually this has been a weird thing. And so we've we've experienced some weather that uh, that you guys are pretty used to down in your parts. Lee, the last two days, so on Sunday and Monday of this week that we're recording on a Tuesday, we've had freezing rain here in Minnesota. And oh my, it's it's awful. It's so bad. And um, so we had two days of freezing rain, and now we're putting four inches of snow on top of it. Yeah. There was there was lots of lots of destruction and and not a lot of happy people in the ditches on the way home from work this afternoon. But I digress. Yeah, well, good thing you survived and didn't crash or any of that fun stuff. You mentioned the bad weather. We mentioned it's February. You talked a little bit about traditional National Signing Day in your opening take, and I suppose we probably should hit on, hit on that one more time. That we're recording this before Wednesday, so we don't know Oklahoma's official 2019 class again not a recruiting podcast who knows what's gonna happen on Wednesday I know Oklahoma may get a couple of new players and things like that I know there's been some verbal commits that we've talked about here and there on the podcast the last month or so but honestly we don't uh, we didn't think it was important enough to wait an extra day to wait on signing day because if anything happens we'll talk about it next week and let's be honest most of you who listen to the show probably don't care about what grant and i have to say that much about recruits especially at this point of the year because it's just not our specialty so i just want to touch on that one more time and again if anything happens noteworthy on signing day we'll discuss it on next week's podcast sure and i did just want to bring up real quick too um so yeah this is going to be released on wednesday morning when people are listening to it it's it's likely by that chance these letters of intent are probably already in to oklahoma um, and so, with that in mind, I'm going to play a little game right now. Now, this is Tuesday night before any of this has happened, um, but I'm just going to I'm just going to tell you who the three guys that signed today were because I just I have a pretty good idea, and I think a lot of us kind of do if you've been paying attention. Um, so, so for signing day tomorrow or or today, if you're listening to it, um, I expect today that the Sooners signed uh, one David Igwebu. Uh, from Texas, he is a he's a Jack linebacker. Uh, he he already was a verbal commit, and also I expect uh, today that they signed Danielson Ek, an offensive lineman from Kansas City, and also Brandon Pierce from the College of the Canyons, which is uh, where Marquise Brown came from. They are pretty much the same player, small, speedy guys. So I those are the three guys I expected uh, to sign with OU today. So we'll see if if that's what happened. All right, we got you on the record for that. Let's jump into the main topic today, and I know in the past we've kind of touched on the news of the week at the start of the show and then moved on to a more of a main topic, but I think today, since this is an Oklahoma football podcast, and those of you who listen probably want to hear more about Oklahoma football as opposed to now Kyler Murray's a former player, Baker Mayfield's a former player, you know, we love talking about those guys, but we'll save that for later in the show. We'll jump right into, you know, the segment that we are going to be covering for the next couple of weeks began last week with the defensive line today we're going to do linebackers and basically which linebackers will benefit the most from the defensive changes the defensive coaching staff changes of Alex Grinch and company again last week was Neville Gallimore he was the he was the easy pick when we were discussing uh, you know a main defensive lineman that might benefit the most and then we talked about some of the other guys as well but Neville Gallimore was the main one that we you and I both thought was like yeah this is a guy that could really blow up in this new defensive scheme could really be unleashed with the linebackers this week Grant for me I think the easy pick and maybe for you too is Kenneth Murray 
Would you agree? Is that the linebacker that comes to mind you think maybe could benefit the most from this defensive coaching change? Yeah, probably. But and, and you know, Lee, I, I slightly expect that this entire discussion is probably going to turn into a discussion about Kenneth Murray, probably for the most part. Um, and because I, I mean, I have questions, you know, regarding Kenneth Murray, because I think this is the person that everybody points to as someone who is going to be the biggest beneficiary of a scheme change, Alex Grinch coming in. And I'm, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I'm just going to start this entire discussion off by just playing devil's advocate with a simple question. Are we sure that Kenneth Murray is a good football player? Uh, he's an incredibly athletic and talented football player. And he has not been a great linebacker at Oklahoma. And, that's and some- I don't know if that's his fault, or I don't, I don't know if, if that's somebody else's fault. I don't know. I mean, he wasn't, and I, I guess I was wrong about this. He, he wasn't that highly recruited, right? He was only no, he a was three-star not. recruit. Is that correct? That's correct. Was he a f- so it's not like he was some five-star guy like a Caleb Kelly coming in with all these high expectations, and he kind of shot up the depth chart and was the first true freshman linebacker or middle linebacker to start for Oklahoma day one. And so he clearly made a name for himself as a true freshman back in 2017. And he's flashed, of course, but overall, he has not been you know, what you would want out of a, a linebacker in this defense. And quite frankly, a lot of the players the last couple of years have underachieved for the most part because the defense as a whole has not been very good at all. So uh, I don't know if it's – I don't know yet. And, and yeah, I think, I think it's a fair question to ask because I think I know what you're getting at. You're getting at, you know – you know, we're going to probably learn if he is or if he isn't now that Alex Grinch is here. Exactly. And so th- this is what I this is why I wanted to start with it, Lee, just because there were three linebackers last year that got a lion's share of the playing time. That's Kenneth Murray, Curtis Bolton and Caleb Kelly. And I don't think anyone listening to this would would disagree that out of those three, Kenneth Murray was the worst player of those three in the 2018 season. Would you agree with that? Yes. Okay. And I thought, uh, you know, I, I thought. Although Kenneth Murray did lead the team in tackles for whatever that's sure. worth, if anything. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't necessarily put a lot of stock into that. Um, and I would also say, you know, by the end of the season, Caleb Kelly was probably the best linebacker on the team. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of starting this conversation from that assumption. I think Caleb Kelly is the best linebacker on the team. But at the same time, we don't necessarily have a position for him yet because he plays, you know, he plays that strong side Sam linebacker position, which is typically in Alex Grinch's offense or defense, excuse me, is occupied by a nickelback or some sort of hybrid. Um, back in 2017, Lee, Caleb Kelly really struggled, uh, especially in space in that Sam linebacker role. So I am, this is what I'm interested about. I think Caleb Kelly is your most talented, best linebacker, and he was at the end of last season. But he, he has proven to struggle at that Sam linebacker spot in space, and he has proven that he struggled to pick up the intricacies of the Will linebacker space. So I am actually by far the most intrigued about what they're going to do with Caleb Kelly because I think he's probably the most talented player there. But as of right now, he doesn't really have a position. And so I'm excited to see what... Alex Grinch's scheme, his philosophy can do for someone like Caleb Kelly. Because, Leah, it wouldn't surprise me, honestly, in the least bit, if we see him back at that will spot. And I want right. and I, and I to bring that up just because I feel like 
amongst the fan base or and at least you know amongst a lot of people who covered the team the conventional wisdom has kind of been that Kenneth Murray is going to is going to switch back to Will linebacker which is what he started at when he came in uh, when he came to Oklahoma but during fall practice in 2017 they moved in the middle because of a lack of depth there um, and he beat out John Michael Terry so I, what I want to ask is is there any evidence right now to suggest that Kenneth Murray is going to be moved over to Will linebacker because I, I don't other than people just kind of throwing stuff against the wall to see if it's going to stick, we have no evidence to suggest, to suggest that whatsoever besides us, yeah. our eyes telling us that that's probably his more natural position, which is something, which is a, a statement I agree with. But it's not, it's at the same time, it's not that easy just to replace a dude who has started every game for you at middle linebacker for two consecutive years. Hmm. All right. So you've brought up the two, well, you brought up. Caleb Kelly and I brought up Kenneth Murray those are the two main linebackers to no one's surprise that I did want to talk about today so at least we've established that and I'm trying to decide where to go with it because you've you've kind of split the difference here that's why I, see, yeah sorry I didn't I, I didn't want to make it too complicated but I, I'm saying like this is I think this is the question of of the defense like I think Caleb Kelly's your best linebacker how are you going to keep him on the field for every single play so I'll put it this way I think there is a, the more that I looked into it in the last week, I think there actually is a position for Caleb Kelly. and It might be actually pretty obvious looking at Alex Grinch's history at Washington State. And I suppose since we're talking about that, I suppose let's just dive right into it. Maybe we'll, we'll circle back around to Kenneth Murray. I think the obvious spot as I've looked more into it, uh, let, me, let me just go ahead and just set it all up. So, and, and I guess I, I had been, you know, Kelly was at will linebacker kind of early in the year, and then he got beat out by Curtis Bolton, you know, in, in training camp, and then Kelly kind of came back and played Sam and, and, and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I had kind of forgotten that he had kind of moved back over to that Sam backer because now you know, Oklahoma was running more of a 4-3 with Ruffin McNeil, and he had the two defensive linemen down. And, I, and so, yeah, Kelly was at Sam. I <laughs> Kelly, to me, and – not just me, I'm sure most people, he's more of like a, a power type player. You know, like he's not particularly fast. He's not as athletic as you might think a five-star player is. So in this defense, that's supposed to be a speed D, right? That's Alex Grinch's thing. I mean, that was coined back at Washington State. It's a speed D. Okay, where is a guy like Caleb Kelly fit? Well, I think that that spot grant might be at the rush linebacker spot. Boom. That was the conclusion I was hoping you would come to. Because logically, in my head, when I game it out, I I really feel like that's that's what Caleb Kelly is going to be a Jack linebacker next year. Which is, yeah, that's the Jack linebacker, essentially, in Alex Grinch's defense. They call it the rush linebacker. And he might have some competent... I mean, there's, there's other guys that will definitely be up for that position. But with his experience and his talent coming in, I know that... We've talked about it last year. Oh, is Caleb Kelly a bust? That's a popular topic. And it's a fair topic because he didn't even win a starting job coming out of camp. He was a five-star player. And then he did play well at the end of the season. I agree with you. I think he was the best linebacker Oklahoma had the last month of the year. He played very well. He was very important to that defense. Now he's coming back. He has all this experience. I think he could be the rush guy and look back at Alex Grinch's tenure at Washington State. And you may have done this already, so I may be saying things you already know, but just for our listeners, I'll break this down for you. He, 
Alex Grinch likes his rush backer to be a big dude. And you look at 2017, Washington State, back in Alex Grinch's last year there, a guy named Frankie Luvu played the rush backer spot, and he was listed at 6'3", 235. Caleb Kelly, uh, I should have had his height and weight pulled up. Off the top of your head, do you know what he's at? Is he 6'3", He's about, he's about like exactly that, that and he's, he's very long as well. Yes, that's his that that's that's Caleb Kelly's um, that's his biggest advantage physically is his length. He's he has very long arms. So Oklahoma's official roster lists Kelly at six three two thirty one. So roughly the same size as Frankie Louvu, the guy that played the rush linebacker spot the final year that Alex Grinch was at Washington State. And that was one of the biggest linebackers on Washington State's roster that season in twenty sixteen. So a year before that, because remember, Grinch was at Wazoo for three seasons, 2017, 2016, 2015. So we're going, to, we're going in reverse order. So 2017 was that Frankie Louvu guy. In 2016, a couple of guys split the job at rush linebacker. One guy was 6'4", 230. The other guy was 6'3", 220. And then in 2015, the first year Grinch got to Washington State, the backer, the rush backer's name was Ivan McLennan. He was 6'4", 233. So just based on size, it looks like a shoe-in for Caleb Kelly. And this is a guy in this defense who's going to have to play up on the defensive line at times, which means that he'll have to hold his own with some defensive linemen. And we, we all know that Caleb Kelly can do that. We saw him do that at times this, this year, specifically in that West Virginia game where he was able to get a pancake before sacking Will Greer and returning that fumble for a touchdown. Another player that I was thinking that might be up for this job as well, just based on size grant, is Ryan Jones. Ryan Jones, 6'2", 236, played a, a lot the first half of the season, and then when Mike Stoops got fired, Ryan Jones's position was basically phased out of the defense. So Ryan Jones also could be a player that could be competing for that rush linebacker spot. So I think Caleb Kelly, though, from what we know right now, the information we have, and based on what Alex Grinch did at Washington State, I think he's the the guy at rush linebacker which is incredibly important position in this defense if you look back at the stats from those three years at washington state the rush linebacker gets a bunch of tackles for loss and that means that they get a lot of sacks as well so i think caleb kelly he might be that rush backer and it sounds like you were kind of coming to that conclusion as well and that, and that's that's a logical conclusion i i don't have any inside info this well, is sure not, yeah same yeah. i mean same here we we're not you know i, I do work at news nine oklahoma city but Full disclosure, I'm not texting Brian Odom and Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley. I don't have that kind of access, unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's purely Maybe in the future I will, but not right now. I I don't have it. <laughs> yeah, purely just a logical conclusion, just because I don't unless, you know, unless the scheme change, what they're doing up front kind of allows, you know, allows him to play freer, I guess, at that Sam spot. I, I I'm not really sure. I just I, I think typically they would in that spot, I think Grinch would probably he would probably prefer a defensive back, someone that they can put, you know, on, on, on a slot receiver and cover man on man. That's certainly not Caleb Kelly. So uh, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with him. I, I'm, I am excited to see that because um, Caleb Kelly is, is going to be in his fourth year in the program. And um, we've, there's, there's been some examples of guys who have kind of had disappointing careers and then have taken off in their fourth seasons, the the first person that comes to mind is is Gabe Lynn, and I know that's that's going going back a little further, but he was a very very highly sought after recruit who had a disappointing career, um, and then his his senior year in 2013, he was an all conference guy. Um, so that's you know that's an example right there. I'm sure there's others that 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 I'm forgetting as well. It's typically 
in, in the defensive backfield. I know Javon Harris was a guy who was like that. Um, trying to think of others. Um, you get my point, but uh, yeah. the, the point is, is that, you know, being in college for four years, being, in, being, you know, at the same program for four years, you learn a lot and you become comfortable. And so he is, he, he's a guy who I think is going to be able to pick up changes and um, in a new scheme that's based on aggressiveness and getting guys to the ground behind the line of scrimmage. That sure sounds a whole hell of a lot like the thing that Caleb Kelly does the best since he's been at Oklahoma. And I'm really excited to see, you know, hopefully unleash him a little bit because I, I think he's a talented guy. So that's the rush linebacker spot. And let's circle back now to Kenneth Murray. And as of now, and you kind of brought this up a little bit earlier, we don't have any evidence to suggest that he's going to switch positions. As of now, from what I know, from what I'm assuming based on his experience, kind of the same the same principles I'm using from last year when we were having these discussions about Kenneth Murray. Hey, well, Kenneth Murray switched positions his sophomore season and I thought well he just had a full year under his belt at middle linebacker it's a lot of experience will probably stick around there now he's got two full years under his belt at middle linebacker and he's got Alex Grinch coming in let's say he stays there and again right now you know why would he move we don't have any information so he'd be a three-year starter at middle linebacker and in Alex Grinch's defense at Washington State he schemes it up, and this is probably not just Grinch. This is a lot of defensive coordinators. The middle linebacker is important. You make a lot of plays. You get a lot of chances to make a lot of plays. And the middle linebacker for Alex Grinch for 2015, 2016, and 2017 is a guy by the name of Peyton Pilar. And if you've watched Washington State football the last few years, Graham, I'm sure you have here and there. He's one of their best players. And he got injured in 2017. So the last year of Alex Grinch at Washington State. Puller was injured in the third game of the season. He missed the rest of the year, and he actually got a medical red shirt, and he was able to play in 2018, so now he's finally done. He was there forever. That's the best linebacker for Washington State, and they lost him in the 2017 season, which makes it even more impressive that Washington State's defense, that was the best it, was, it had been since Grinch was there in 2017. They finished 16th in the nation in total defense. So even with their best linebacker out for most of that year, Grant, Alex Rich was able to plug and play at the middle linebacker spot, and a couple of guys came in and and apparently played pretty well, even though their best guy was out. So it's nice to see that there has been some success out of that middle linebacker position, and if there's anybody that needs a change, that needs a little some more direction, I think it's Kenneth Murray, and there's more guys in this team other than Murray, but he's such an important part of this defense right there in the middle, that he has to know what he's doing every single snap. And he has to be confident because I'm not so sure that he's been 100% confident for the last two seasons. What else do you have to add on Kenneth Murray right now? Because I have some more on Kenneth, but I'll pause in case you, you want to add a couple more points. Other than, you know, I, I, I really do think um, that Will linebacker spot probably does suit his, his physical attributes better. Um, him kind of running down plays from behind, I think, is – is probably a better fit than him trying to diagnose stuff up the middle and meet guys in the hole because I, I we've seen it the last two years. He struggles with that. He really struggles to diagnose plays before they happen. And as a as a middle linebacker, you can't have that. Um, so and also at the same time, I've I've said this numerous times. He is he is. I don't know if I've ever seen a middle linebacker worse in coverage over the middle field over the middle of the field than Kenneth Murray. Just a about as big of a liability in coverage at linebacker as you possibly can be. He's that bad in coverage. 
And in the Big 12, that's a huge problem, obviously, in a conference so, where they throw the ball around a lot. And who knows? And this is like, here's where it's tough to, it's tough to analyze this because who, I mean, maybe Alex Grinch comes in and his scheme and the way he's able to teach Kenneth Murray, maybe, maybe just the light comes on and he starts to understand everything a lot better. It's a lot simpler. Um, I'm not discounting that. That could happen. Um, but until that happens, I, I'm 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 going to stay pretty skeptical about what we've seen from Kenneth Murray in the middle of the field. Um, I, I I wouldn't be insanely surprised if it's Deshaun White starting at that position come August 31st. Um, that's his natural position, and you know I, I just Kenneth Murray has has just has not been a great player for Oklahoma. He just hasn't, and, and I think uh, it, it probably does need to be on the table to see if if they can get more out of him at a different position. But at the same time, like I just said, who knows? The light may come on as soon as Brian Odom and, and Alex Grinch you know get their hands on him. Here's the thing, though, and. Looking back at the Will linebacker spot in Alex Grinch's defense at Washington State, it's normally a pretty small guy. And Kenneth Murray's not a small guy. He's 6'2", almost 240. He's a big guy. And you want that guy in the middle, especially with a guy who's as athletic as Kenneth Murray. Deshaun White's not a small guy by any stretch of the imagination. I believe 6'1", 6'2", 220, something like that. So, I mean, that's a pretty good size. I know Peyton Pallor, that linebacker at Washington State I was talking about, their best linebacker, he's... He was a six foot two twenty five guy, so a little more the size of a Deshaun White than a Kenneth Murray. Uh, so I, you mentioned that maybe the light will come on under Alex Grinch, and you know how much do we hear, especially last season, the simple approach, and that was especially whenever Ruffin McNeil took over as a defensive coordinator after Mike Stoops got fired. Ruffin McNeil was all about the simple approach, make sure. There's not a lot of thinking out there for his defensive players. He wants them just to be able to react and be athletic and not be bogged down by too many things in their head. And that worked well for the first two games. And then after that, Oklahoma's defense seemed to be overmatched for the most part the rest of the way, even though that simple approach was a thing. Apparently, it just it didn't work the rest of the way. So I saw a quote from a former Washington State linebacker who played under Alex Grinch, and that linebacker was Jeremiah Allison. And Allison got 97 tackles for the Cougars in 2015. And that was Grinch's first year as a D.C. at Wazoo. Allison said about Grinch, quote, Some defensive coordinators, they draw a laundry list of things to do. Coach Grinch has one call, and you know what it is. He can say, raise. And we know that one word has multiple things involved, end quote. So if this is going to be a system where it's that simple where a defensive player can hear one thing from Grinch or whoever's calling the plays and they know exactly what to do. That already sounds like a huge upgrade over anything that's happened at Oklahoma the last handful of seasons, especially because this system was so successful at Washington State. We heard all about the simplified stuff for the last half of last season. That worked again for two games, but didn't work the rest of the way. So whatever the simplified approach was, it, it didn't work whenever the teams actually got good. Washington State was able to use a simplified approach and play good defense against everybody for the most part. So I liked hearing that. So it, it's nice that that Allison guy also, he excelled in his one and only year in Grinch's system. So that kind of gives me hope that Kenneth Murray can succeed as well because, again, Murray led the team in tackles a season ago. And I think if he stays at middle linebacker, and again, I don't know why he wouldn't at this point, he's got a great chance to lead the team in tackles yet again because that middle linebacker spot – 
is a position where Alex Grinch's defense, reading up on it, the stunting up front, the defensive lineman moving in and out, everything is designed to allow the linebackers to work in space and make plays and make tackles. And if they all know what their gap is going to be and it's simplified, and I saw a couple of videos on that 11 Warriors website when Alex Grinch was over at Ohio State when they were coming in that I was breaking down all the gap schemes and how simple it looked. I'm pretty confident. It makes me feel pretty good right now in February of 2019. Well said, Lee. Um, just kind of the, one of the last things I just, and this is more of just a general comment. There's five guys um, outside of the the three that we've already mostly mentioned being you know Murray, White, and, and Caleb Kelly. The Lee, the the four guys that I'm really, really interested to see kind of what Alex Grinch does with him this year, because I think these are really important seasons for these four guys. Nick Benito, Levi Draper, Ryan Jones, um, and also oh crap, I'm forgetting another one right now. Mark Jackson? Uh no, I'm sorry, not Mark Jackson. Uh Jakairi Daly is the Ja'Kyrie other one. Daly. Um, really interested to see what 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 role those guys have. Um, going to Ryan Jones, we heard a lot a lot about him last off season in, in in fall practice leading up. Of course, he I mean I, he started I think the first handful of games and, and was a big part of the defense. After Mike Stoops was fired, he became pretty much a non factor. We didn't really see the field the rest of the season. He's a guy who is a converted safety, so he possibly sort of fits that speed D mold. Um, and also just with Benito and Draper, these are two, you know, highly sought after recruits um, who have who haven't really seen, you know, the field, you know, a lot yet. So I, I just want to see if, if, if they're part of the, the equation this time around. And then just uh, with Ja'Kyrie Daly, he's a guy who, who still just physically, when I watched him in the spring game last year, he, he impressed me. He's a guy who seems like he gets off the line quickly and could rush the passer a little bit. So um, maybe in a, in a simpler scheme, a scheme where all, you know, the only thing that he's worried about is maybe getting to the quarterback or, or getting guys to the ground in the backfield. Maybe that's somewhere where, or, or uh, some sort of scheme where he would be valuable as well. So, um, they've, they've recruited fairly well at the linebacker spot the last two or three seasons, a lot of four-star guys in there, a lot of good athletes in there, um, now it's all about whether or not they can coach these guys up and see if uh, if if they're effective football players at the college level. And, and I think you know, I think it's good that they're starting with a totally clean slate and they're uh, starting over the defensive coordinator who preaches uh, simplicity and speed. Um, I I think we're we're gonna really see what these guys are all about and see how well they actually have recruited. Um, I'm excited to see. I think the linebackers uh, to see how they play see how they react to Grinch's scheme is, is maybe the most the, the thing that I'm most interested to see in the offseason leading up to the year. And I think you briefly touched on it a while back. In Grinch's system at Washington State, it's a 3-4 system, a nickel, predominantly nickel system. So this is a situation where you're probably only going to see three linebackers on the field for the most part, which is kind of what we saw on the field for the most part the last half of the year when Ruffin McNeil was there, just more of a 4-3. And then sometimes, you know, when Caleb Kelly was off the field, they'd have a nickel out there or something like that. So, I mean, if there's three linebackers, I think as of now, I mean, you got to plug in Kenneth Murray and Caleb Kelly there. I mean, again, we, we both kind of think right now that Kelly will trend towards that rush linebacker role. I think Kenneth Murray will probably still be the middle linebacker, you know, in, in, unless something just doesn't click with him and he gets pressed, you know, pressed and spring ball and whatnot, which is totally possible. I mean, 
they're going to have open competitions, I think, everywhere. And then the Will linebacker spot, I think, will be interesting to figure out who ends up playing that because, again, at Washington State, Alex Grinch's Will linebacker was about you know, a little undersized, normally six foot, you know, right around 200 pounds. I mean, uh, maybe almost like the size of like a big old, a big time, like strong safety even playing linebacker. And, and so uh, certainly a player that will need to have lots of speed. And I'm curious to see who ends up filling in for that spot. I just don't know yet. I, I mean, think there's no way of knowing. I think if we're going off of last year's roster and who's there, you got because we know that Kelly went back to the Sam linebacker and we know uh, Bolton was there because Brian Mead was the one who was spelling Bolton, if you remember. And I, I just, and yeah. you know, hats off to Brian Mead. He's a, he's a, I don't think he's a walk on anymore, but he, he was a walk on. Uh, Brian Mead's probably not a guy that, that you really want on the field uh, for a good defense. And I, I think right now, Lee, um, without anything else to go on, I think Levi Draper is the guy who's, who's there right now. Um, so that's why, I mean, he's, he's got a hell of an opportunity in front of him right now, probably. And also, too, I'm curious to see where Mark Jackson fits into this because he's that undersized, like, defensive end type player who also can play linebacker. I mean, his position was he's a a defensive end slash linebacker. I mean, I think, he's 6'1", 235, 240. I think he's, I think he's going to stay at the rush linebacker spot, and he's going to play for sure. I think uh, my, my perfect scenario, this thought I have in my head – is I, I I want them to to have you know three or four guys who 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 they can effectively put in in that position so that they can just keep them fresh the entire game just keep working them in and out yeah that'd be good that I mean that's I, I think that's your best case scenario and you know I I see a scenario where that could work out when you have potentially Jalen Redmond there Caleb Kelly Mark Jackson I already brought up Jakairi Daly um it's possible that someone and like you said these um. These other undersized guys like Ryan Jones or maybe even Nick Benito could could turn into someone like that as well. And so, like what we said, there's they have a lot of options. Just not not a ton of obvious solutions, but a lot of really intriguing options. I'm excited to see where it goes. All right, that's all I have on the linebackers. You good? Yeah, I'm good. All right. Well, next week should be fun. We'll take a look at the secondary. So hopefully that's something that you all can look forward to. All right, so before we talk about Kyler Murray, I'd like to thank all the listeners out there who've recently left a rating and or a review on iTunes. I noticed a nice five-star review went up last week, so thank you all very much for that one. If you would like to leave a rating or review, just lift up your phone, tap a rating. Five stars would be great. You can leave a review, too. There's a, an icon below it that you can type in a review if you'd like. All the feedback is always great. For the most part, it's been incredibly positive, and we appreciate all the support, as always. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I am at Lee Benson News 9, at Lee Benson News and the number 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. Uh, you can like the West of Everest Facebook page if you'd like. That way you can stay up to date with the show. And as well, if you'd like to email the show, the email address is westofeverest at gmail.com. Westofeverest at gmail.com. So everyone, thanks again for all the support. Got a long offseason ahead of us, and we'll all get through it together. So, Grant, I'm kind of getting the feeling that Kyler Murray, and this is not that surprising, he's kind of our new Baker Mayfield. And what I mean by that is that we spent a large portion of the offseason a year ago talking about Baker Mayfield and how he translate to the NFL and all of that fun stuff. We know at this point Murray's not 100% going to the NFL, but if I had to bet, and I think if you had to bet too, we'd both put a substantial amount of money on Murray being there available in the NFL draft. And then in August – 
fighting for a starting quarterback job in the NFL. If would you put if you had to you know bet would you bet that Murray's going to be in that NFL draft at this point? Because I would. Yeah, you can bet the farm basically. Um, I would push back on you saying that Kyler is our is our new Baker Mayfield. I I don't I don't really agree with you. I I, I think you're trying to to connect the dots a little bit just by saying hey we're going to go over this whole. NFL draft thing over the offseason just like we did last year and and you're right we probably will do that but I Kyler Murray does not elicit the same emotional response within me that Baker Mayfield did he just doesn't and um, I think a lot of it a lot of it Kyler's just kind of a weird dude and that's why so uh, the <laughs> no I understand that he only started for OU for one year yeah I love Kyler a lot Lo- of it love I mean, Kyler he's... dude the dude was was a was amazing in 2018 he's just not a guy who is gonna who who is you know, going to be an, an insanely interesting person to talk to, or his personality is not going to jump off, you know, jump off the screen at you. So uh, he's, he's just kind of a quiet guy who goes about his business, which is something I just appreciate. He just doesn't, he doesn't really elicit, you know, a response within me to, to go up and just, and, you know, defend him as fiercely as I did Baker Mayfield. I just, um, Kyler's a weird dude is, is basically what I'm saying. We'll see if your feelings on all that though changes once I think we find out again, I think we'll find out heck uh, not next week because he's supposed to. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, next week because he's supposed to report to the A's on February 15th. And if he didn't report to the A's on February 15th because he's getting ready for the combine or something like that, then I think that's a pretty clear indicator that he's going to be. Yeah, that he's going to be entering the NFL draft. And he wants to try to play football. And so if that happens and then NFL teams know, OK, this guy will be in the draft and then we start hearing all the media people and all the experts and kind of like we heard last year talking about Baker Mayfield and then we start hearing people kind of doubting Kyler Murray and putting other quarterbacks ahead of him and things like that we'll see if maybe you'll start to change your tune a bit in, in defending his well I mean football his football sure. not necessarily just like him as a I, I get what you're I get what you mean by that because yeah it's just he's they're totally different guys no he's just yeah he's just not a he's not a particularly compelling interview and he's not great with the media um, which is fine, and you know, I like is, I said, we're going to get an example of here in a moment. Yeah, like I said, I I appreciate his quiet confidence. That's that's absolutely more of like how I would operate if I was in their situation. Um, and but yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. If 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 people start unironically putting you know Daniel Jones and Drew Locke like ahead <laughs> of Kyler Murray in 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 draft projections and and rankings and stuff like that, then yeah, I mean, I'm going to get you know I'm going to get pretty triggered by that, but. <laughs> You know. Okay. Well, let's touch on this appearance on the Dan Patrick show last week. And I posted a clip on the West of Evers Facebook page when this happened last week. If you haven't seen Murray on the Dan Patrick show yet, just go to that West of Evers Facebook page. Give us a like while you're there. You can watch that video. It's a couple posts down. And I mean, to put it simply, it's kind of weird and kind of funny here and there. I got a snippet of that interaction with Dan Patrick to play here on the podcast and this is going to be just to give you a taste of kind of what it was like the interview lasted about 13 14 minutes and it wasn't all like what you're about to hear I listened to the whole thing and there was some some good things some bad things uh, you know before I push play on this I want to say that Dan Patrick I think was great during this and also before I push play I'm just curious Grant have you gone back and watched it yet because you told me last week that you were trying to avoid this like the plague and I still am I am like I'm, I might you haven't pl- seen anything. No, I might have you plug, not heard anything. I might plug my ears when I hear this. I have a very strict, no awkward interview policy, and in my I, I just can't do it. I, I can't. 
there's there's people out there who just can't take cringy stuff and and i'm one of those people it just it makes me incredibly uncomfortable i i understand it's weird i just i i typically really try to avoid interviews uh with young athletes because it's just they're generally not very media savvy and it usually just is is just awkward for me and i just i can't deal with it so nobody needs nobody needs nobody needs to feel sorry for me but that's just my personal view I get that, and I, I kind of sympathize with it. However, this is actually not as bad as others because of Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick adds some levity. He kind of makes it funny. Granted, you're not going to be able to watch this. This is a podcast. So you'll just hear it, but I think hearing it still will work. And just to set this up real quick, and bear with me here. This is about a, this is over two minutes long. And I know that sounds kind of long, but it you need to hear it in case you haven't. And it, set, set, uh, it starts out by... Kyler Murray was kind of throwing a football around the set of the Dan Patrick show before the interview started, and they were kind of having some fun. And so we walked up to the microphone to sit down, and Dan Patrick started out, and, and he had a football in his hand, and he kind of tossed it over to Kyler Murray again, and Murray was holding the football. So that's my setup to now I will play the clip of Kyler Murray on Dan Patrick. How's that NFL football feel? What? <laughs> 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 I'm not trying to bait you to make a decision. I just want to know how that felt. It's, a, it's it, different it, than a college it football. It needs to be broken a little bit. A little bit? Yeah. All right. A lot more. Well, you can do that your rookie year. <laughs> Wait, are we not going to get along here if I do this? I, I, I want to make sure. Yeah, we can do this. Okay. All right. We can do it. You don't have to make a decision. Are you having fun with this I'm at all? I'm having a lot of fun. You sh- yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. I couldn't tell. Oh, no, don't, don't worry. I'm having a lot of fun. Okay, well, let me try this again. Hey, what did you think of that NFL football? <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to the combine? I don't know. Well, wait, wait. Dad, is he going to the combine? No comment. Dad had no comment there. Pro day? I mean, that's after the combine. Yeah, are you going to do a pro day? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah. I guess. If you want to say yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's okay. You can have a pro day. But I, instead that of... That would imply that I was going to play football. Uh, okay. So you're going to have a pro day? <laughs> <laughs> When's minor... When do you report for the Oakland A's? February 15th. Oh, you knew that. Okay. So you're you're ready to go to do that. Wait, are you going to spring training? I don't know. Wait, you don't know? Dad, is he going to spring training? Another no comment here. You know these microphones are on right now. Like we're, yeah, I know, okay. I know, I know. I just, I just said. All right. How tough is it? That you're doing this with Gatorade, but you know every place you go is going to ask you the same questions. I'm getting pretty good at answering, you know, these questions. No, so. you're not answering them. Well, ex- you're, exactly. You're, you're yeah, shaking yeah. me off here. Yeah, no. yeah, I feel like I'm trying to tackle you. <laughs> no, yeah, everybody keeps asking the same questions. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, they'll, they'll soon be answered. So, Grant, you still there? Did you did you plug your ears? Did no, you hear that? I, I listened. God, man, you're right. He just wasn't prepared. You know, I... <laughs> It's. I, I think it's. I think it's pretty clear that his dad is running the show. Well, so. we don't know this because his dad. If you watch the video, his dad's there, 
and you hear Dan Patrick yell across the room, hey, dad, asking these questions. And they cut to his dad. His dad's laughing, too. So, I mean, his dad's kind of laughing at the whole thing. And uh, who knows what the idea is? Here's the thing. I, Murray was doing these media rounds on Friday at Super Bowl on behalf of Gatorade. And Gatorade had to have just given him a bunch of money to do this. During the full interview with Dan Patrick, you know, Murray talked about how he just loves Gatorade. So I, I can't accuse him of being disingenuous because I believe that Kyler Murray loves Gatorade. And, you know, why wouldn't he? He said he drinks it all the time. I mean, Gatorade is delicious, Grant. Wouldn't you agree with that? What what on earth are we talking about? <laughs> well, I'm trying to get a Gatorade sponsorship, obviously, for the podcast. I don't, I, but, yeah, the whole thing was weird. Dan Patrick was asking no. him questions that Kyler Murray has obviously been told not to answer. <laughs> right. So I guess the, the reason why I bring up Gatorade, other than trying to get a sponsorship from Gatorade, is that he had to have been given lots of money by Gatorade to do all this these media appearances if... <laughs> If Murray was so unprepared for these questions, <laughs> because, man, like the main in- takeaway for me is that I'm not so sure if Murray and his family has a publicist. It, it seems like they need a PR person, a PR specialist. And I mean, if they do have one already, then I just I don't know what happened here. I, you'd think they'd be kind of prepared for this. Uh, the weird thing is also the additionally weird thing is that Murray did so many media appearances on Friday and I think that he was on ESPN's get up with uh, you know Greenberg and whoever's on that show now and I think he was on that show before he did the Dan Patrick show and I watched a clip from that and he did pretty well on get up and he kind of punted on some of the questions about about football and baseball and said he'd be making a decision soon after the Super Bowl but then he went on Dan Patrick show and then all of a sudden he just kind of clammed up and didn't know what to say so it makes me wonder if his answers on the get up show were not satisfactory to whoever's, you know, kind of controlling it for that and said, Hey, you gave away too much there. He didn't really give away anything on get up. And it makes me wonder if, if they said something to him before that he did Dan Patrick show. And then that's when he was just like, I can't say anything. <laughs> and, and he didn't. I mean, if you watch the video, it's, it's even more telling because he just sits there silently for you know two three four seconds when he's asked these questions but i thought dan patrick did a pretty good job for the most part kind of lighten the mood and yeah he definitely i don't know the way the way dan patrick was reacting it it was almost like he expected to get absolutely nothing from kyler so i don't i mean yeah, who knows? He, he didn't give up on it though he tried to yeah. find a way to get something out of him and what an insanely I mean, weird thing that was <laughs> it was yeah, I can't wait for the hot takes about how this this is why you you can't draft him in the first round or something like that. You know it's coming. It might be coming. Here's the thing though: on February fifteenth, because that was the one part where Kylo was totally fine talking about. It. So yeah, February fifteenth. That's when I go to the A's, and then the follow up to oh, so you're gonna go and you're gonna be ready for spring training, and then he didn't have an answer for it. Uh, basically, on February fifteenth or after, I think that's when we're gonna have some clarity, and this whole media tour won't. It won't matter anymore. I think we already right have either. clarity from anyone who is just not dumb. He's going to the NFL. I mean, I think I think that's the case, but we I mean, obviously nobody knows that now except for well, Lee. Like Kyler like I've said numerous times, you're a journalist who has you know who has journalistic standards that you have to adhere to. As a fan, I do not have to adhere to any such standards, so I'm very mm-hmm. comfortable with saying that he is 100 percent going to the NFL. <laughs> okay, great, great. Uh, 
Yeah, anything out of Grant's mouth on this podcast is you can't take that as news. That's for sure. It's just uh, all right. Well, this all is all opinion. This is episode one hundred and one. If people don't get the bit yet, then yeah, like that—that's the bit. He's he's a pro. I'm the fan. I say hyperbolic stuff all the time. So I think that's all we have on this Stan Patrick show appearance. I just wanted to bring it up because I thought it was it was bizarre. But yeah, you know, just, what, you know, Kyler's going to be Kyler. It fits perfectly with Kyler's personality. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let's just. You want to talk? Did you see this this mock draft? The CBS Sports mock yeah. draft. Yeah. And so Tom Fornelli, who he's a college football writer, I believe. Fornelli has he is he has he has quite the reputation for being very hot takey though. Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah, he I, does. I didn't know that. I. I just knew he was a Heisman. Heisman. I, the reason I said Heisman is because I get because in his column he says he gave his Heisman vote to Kyler Murray, so he voted for Murray for the Heisman Trophy. So yeah, he's a college football guy. Yeah, he gave it. He gave his vote to Murray after writing an entire column about how he wished that Kyler Murray wouldn't win the Heisman because it would be boring. Or really? no? Oh no! I'm sorry. I, I totally mixed that one up. That was someone else. Fernelli was the guy who was who was rooting for OU not to make the playoffs because their defense is so bad, and that would be. He's one of those people. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, that's kind of lame. Well, he did a mock draft, and I know mock drafts at this point are just for fun. Granted, we are actually close to the draft. I mean, we're in the off season now, so this isn't like a a mock draft done in freaking you know July. Oh, mock drafts the, are awesome. They're great. Right, yeah. So, so like it's it's actually kind of close to the draft, and you know we actually know the draft order now because the mock drafts we've seen for the last month, we don't know the official order, but now we do with the Super Bowl being completed. So his mock draft and his whole thing in the mock draft is that you're not going to find Kyler Murray's name in this first round mock draft because, well, he explains it. And it's basically because nobody has ever been drafted as a quarterback in the first round who is as short as Kyler Murray. That's basically his that's his take. And so here we are again with him being short and short guys aren't going to be drafted. That's lazy. It's an incredibly lazy take, and it makes it even worse when you look actually at his draft because you see that he's got Dwayne Haskins going sixth overall to the Giants, and he's got Dwayne Haskins as the first quarterback taken off the, off the board. And he says that – I'm going to read from his mock draft piece. He says that the Giants took a lot of flack for taking a running back with the number two pick in last year's draft instead of one of the available quarterbacks. But it works out well for them as they end up getting the best quarterback in the 2019 class anyway. This pick seems so obvious that it will almost assuredly not happen. So immediately, you and I will push back on that because Dwayne Haskins is not the best quarterback in this class, Grant. The best quarterback in this class is Kyler Murray. And Dwayne Haskins is the second best quarterback in this draft. So not only is Dwayne Haskins above Kyler Murray in this draft, Kyler Murray's not even in the first round. And, I mean, this is a quick thing. He's a little blurb. He's not going to, you know, go in depth of why he thinks Dwayne Haskins is the best. Presumably, Dwayne Haskins is better than Kyler Murray, Grant, because Dwayne Haskins has Kyler Murray by about three inches. That's all I can take from this. Yeah, just what size. What do you think? That's the, oh, yeah. That is that is the only reason why, um, why Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, and Dwayne Haskins – are even being debated as maybe not, or, you know, as above Kyler Murray. It's literally just because of size. Has nothing to do with football skills whatsoever. And so that's exactly what you talked about all last year with Baker Mayfield and how you hated that argument as well, and then the Browns made the right call. So right after Haskins is taken in this mock draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars is up at number seven, and he has Daniel Jones of Duke going seventh overall to the Jaguars. And just listen to this write-up 
for Daniel Jones. And you tell me if this gets you super pumped up to take Daniel Jones in the freaking top 10 of the NFL draft. Quote, I don't think Daniel Jones is the kind of talent that should be taken in the first 10 picks of an NFL draft, but he's a quarterback and no position is overdrafted more than quarterback. He has a lot of the same athletic traits that made Blake Bortles attractive to the Jaguars. And he also has a chance to be a more effective passer than Bortles was. Um, tell me, explain to me why Daniel Jones, why this guy should be taken ahead of Kyler Murray. Okay. I'm actually, what a, I'm actually what an amazing yeah. write up. I'm actually going to defend him on here because this does. Yeah, he kind of alludes to it too. He's basically he's just trying to throw something against the wall. He's trying to make a prediction. Um, and I don't know. Would it really surprise you that much if the Jacksonville Jaguars made a terrible pick and picked Daniel Jones? <laughs> if it's if it's gonna, ha- I mean, the Jaguars doing no, that, no, they have they have, they have quite the history of doing that exact thing. Yeah, and I'm you know. I, I, I mean, I, based on his premise of Kyler Murray being too short, and that's why he's not going to be the first round. I mean, all of all of these selections make sense. I get that because all these guys are bigger than Kyler Murray. Like he's not. So Fernelli in this piece, Lee, is not saying that Kyler Murray shouldn't be picking the first, shouldn't be picked in the first round because of his height. He's just he's going off of he's trying to be different, and he's trying to say, hey, nobody's ever. I just based off of trends, this is how I think it's going to happen, and I think I think it's a defensible position to take. Now, if he were to come out and say, "I absolutely believe with every fiber of my being that Daniel Jones is better than Kyler Murray," then I mean, he's an idiot. But I, I don't I don't think that's the argument that he's making in in this particular mock draft. And I think that's a fair assessment. And again, not again, but I will say part of his write up before he lists his one through thirty two. He says that, uh, let's see, I'm trying to read this so he gets more of his context. He says, you know, we're seeing a return of shorter players in the game, and it's possible that Murray could be the first experiment with a, quote, short quarterback in these new NFL offenses. I'm just not going to predict it happens this year until there's more information out there indicating it will. So he kind of gives himself some wiggle room there to get more information, which is totally fair. I mean, there's always room for more information, and when more information comes in in any subject – it's fair to change up your opinion because that's what that's the point. I mean, when there's new facts, there's new information, then you have to change, you know, your opinion. So, you know, perhaps it made a little too hard on him because the premise of his mock draft is that NFL teams are not going to draft a really short quarterback. Therefore, here's who they're going to take. Okay, that's fine. I, I suppose I'm obviously arguing that it's just ridiculous. You could argue with me. Dwayne Haskins over Murray is defendable. Fine. But, when you start saying that you'd rather have Daniel Jones or Drew Locke, because Drew Locke is 10th in this mock draft over than Kyler Murray, that's just – I no. And, and I guess another point that I wanted to bring up too, he says he doesn't see this happening in the first round. Well, Lamar Jackson went in the first round late last year, and Lamar Jackson's, what, 6'1"? I mean, he's got Murray by like an inch or two. Maybe two two inches. And oh, Murray's like five nine and a half. Murray's really small. But I guess my point is that Lamar Jackson is is way more of a limited passer than Murray, and Murray is is just as good, or if if not more of a dynamic runner of the football than Lamar Jackson. So if anybody took Lamar Jackson late in the first round, why wouldn't a team? I'm looking at the draft order right now. I mean, look at I mean, heck the Patriots at 32. If Kyler Murray's there for the Patriots at 32. With Tom Brady being, what, 41, 42? I could see Bill Belichick saying, uh, yeah, I'll, that sounds fun. I'll take Kyler Murray if he's available. You know, why not? I mean, you got other teams that might need a quarterback. 
the Los Angeles Chargers at 28. Phillip Rivers is getting older. I mean, if you get Kyler Murray that kind of value that late in the first round and some teams have older quarterbacks, why not? I mean, the Raiders have tons of first-round picks, so you know who knows when they'll take a quarterback because they probably will at some point. By the way, Grant, they got Marquise Brown going to the Colts. Yeah, I saw that. I don't, I don't think that will happen at all. I don't... Um... I, I don't they don't really need another deep threat small speedy wide receiver they already have like the best one in the NFL so um mm-hmm. they need they need like a they need a big bodied guy who they can who they can throw who they can throw the ball to in traffic um I I want them I mean there's like no we don't need to talk about the Colts they're, they're gonna take a corner in the first round yeah don't go in depth on the Colts I just wanted to point that out and the last OU guy in the draft they have uh Fornelli's got Cody Ford going 12th to the Packers so Cody Ford's going to be a first-round pick. The only question yeah. is where. I still think Cody Ford's going to be the first offensive lineman taken. Once once they get through the, the the pre-draft process, I think it's going to be clear to everybody when it gets down to that point. Fornelli's got Jonah Williams of Alabama being the first offensive lineman taken, fourth yep. overall to the Raiders. Yep. I've All right. Seen, so I've yeah. seen Jonah Williams go like in a lot of different positions in a ton of different mock drafts as well, but. Um, I think I've only seen Cody Ford go in the top ten in like one of them, and it was probably some some obscure publication. All right, so I, you know what? To recap, on the premise of his article, it makes sense that Kyler Murray was not in the top, top, top not in the first round. Fine. Uh, I just I think there's enough information right now that if I was writing a mock draft, I'd have Kyler Murray in my first round. I'm not sure why I'd have him, but I'd have him in there because I think he's going to go to the NFL draft, and I think the team's going to take him because he's just too darn talented not to take in the first round. Yeah, right now, if I like gun to my head, I, I would I'd slot him at seven to Jacksonville. I think that's where he's going to go. All right, real quick on Baker Mayfield, uh, we've kind of texted about this here and there. I know it doesn't matter ultimately because it's a it's an award, and I'm the guy who would tell you that the Heisman Trophy is a useless award and. So I guess it, I'd be a hypocrite if I sat here and got really upset over Baker Mayfield not getting the, the Offensive Rookie of the Year award in the NFL. I'm not super upset. I just think it's, it's worth pointing out that Saquon Barkley had a Rookie of the Year type season, certainly deserving of it. I just think Baker Mayfield was more deserving of it based on the position he plays and how well he played the position and the team and the city he's in. That's it. Uh, it was relatively close. I think Barkley got 26 or 26 and a half votes and Mayfield got like 21 and a half. So, I mean, it was close. But uh, congratulations to Saquon Barkley. Again, uh, very deserving of the award. I just think Baker Mayfield was slightly more deserving just based on based on football. I mean, because quarterbacks are just more important than running backs in the grand scheme of things. And uh, Baker Mayfield had a fantastic rookie season. It wasn't perfect, but he had the best rookie season for a quarterback in, in a long, long time. I would be and, very... Uh, and it was historically good based on touchdown passes. I would be very interested to see, or or to see someone who voted for Saquon Barkley, I, I would like to see an explanation. Um, not because like they owe anyone an explanation, not like it's an egregious pick or anything like that. Um, I, I'm just curious as to what the, the rationale would be over Baker Mayfield, because I, I just, I don't, it in my mind, it should have been consensus or unanimous for Baker Mayfield. So it's it's kind of confusing to me. So, yeah, that's I just wanted to point that out. And just be just because I mean, like we've, you know, in in the NFL and basically just in football in general, we've we've turned pretty much every MVP award into the best quarterback award because everybody now recognizes that quarterback is probably the most difficult position to play in all of sports and that um 
you know, the quarterback position more so than any other position in sports, the 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 result of the game is on your shoulders more than anyone else. Everyone sort of realizes that and acknowledges that. And we've seen, you know, the Heisman has turned into a quarterback award. The NFL MVP, you know, has turned into a quarterback award. You would think that the rookie MVP award would also, people would be thinking along the lines of a quarterback as well, um, especially when it's the season that Baker Mayfield just had. And um, But I don't know. I, I did go back and look at history, Lee, and, and, and you know, the Offensive Rookie of the Year award is, is, is basically a running back and wide receiver award. It's like six quarterbacks all time have won it since 1964. And and the only the only two like really really good quarterbacks who have won it are Ben Roethlisberger and Dan Marino. And it, that makes sense because transitioning from the college game to the NFL, running back is a, a lot easier to play than quarterback. Therefore, it would make sense that a rookie running back would be able to just be plugged into whichever team they're on and have some success. Hey, here's the ball, go run with it and get yards and score touchdowns. Whereas as a quarterback, it's more than just hey, here's the football, go throw passes to open receivers and stuff i mean you have to <laughs> take so many things in and obviously with the history of the browns i mean they've had so many swings and misses at the quarterback position and then you got a guy with baker mayfield who comes in and you know all the stuff that we were talking about last year when he got drafted grant all last summer you can go back and listen to the podcast and it wasn't just us you know other, everyone else who understood baker mayfield and and what he can do for a team in a franchise i mean I think you brought it up first is that if there's anybody that's going to turn around the cleveland browns Baker Mayfield's a guy that can do that. And so far through one year, it's been a rousing success. He's got a lot more work to do. Everyone's going to be afraid of the sophomore slump. I'm afraid of the sophomore slump. I'll be completely honest with you right now. But, man, he gave us a, a really fun 2018 season. And um, sure, he didn't win in a Rookie of the Year award. Lee, I kind of feel a, like... It's kind of annoying, but... Pretty it much, doesn't matter that much. Pretty much every single sort of prominent quarterback, rookie quarterback, I feel like in recent history has be has been a victim of the sophomore slump, just off the top of my head. Uh well, actually, no, Carson Wentz, I suppose, was about to win the MVP before he tore his ACL. Does that does that count as a sophomore slump? <laughs> Tearing your ACL. Yeah. I guess I, I guess I guess I'm more thinking of like Dak Prescott, you know, and the like. Yeah, Dak Prescott. Uh, I mean, Deshaun Watson was injured last year, so he didn't go for a full season. He had a he was slow at the start of this year, and I think maybe he was still kind of trying to get his legs underneath him. And for the most part, Deshaun Watson was he was pretty good. Yeah, maybe he was I'm pretty just, good this season. I think I'm probably just uh, thinking way too hard about uh, Winston Mariota or Mariota, however the hell you say it. I don't even know. Mariota, Mariota, whatever. Oh, it's right, Mario, Mar- like at like the. Like the video, like the video game, game character, yeah. Yep. Um, and also, who's the other one? I would, that was in that was in my head. Who had a good start? But was well, RG three. That was ten years ago. But um, Derek is Derek Carr. Uh, Derek Carr. Thank year? you, Derek Carr. Yes. Was Derek, he good his first year, or did he wait a couple years? Until oh, he you know what? He he didn't have a sophomore slump though. He was re, he was pretty solid his first year. Almost was an MVP his second year, and then his third year is when he kind of fell off a cliff. The thing is, uh, all those guys, I mean, again, this is recent history. I mean, Baker Mayfield is so much better than all these guys, yeah. all Wait, these other quarterbacks. I'm about, to make, <laughs> I'm about to make a multiple hot takes here. <laughs> okay. Here we go. One, at the end of the season, by week 17, Baker Mayfield was a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And two, if Baker Mayfield was starting for the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday, they would have won the Super Bowl. Uh, this is West of Ever's podcast. You know, I'm not going to disagree with you. 
Uh, I'm not going to disagree with you. I said multiple times throughout this season, and I can't remember if I said it on the podcast. I may have, whatever, but just to people. and I would have said it publicly. I should have probably put it out there more publicly because uh, I'm a Bears fan. And you know, Trubisky had a, he had a nice year, but you watch every snap like I do. You see that he was schemed, uh, hyper-schemed, and he missed a lot of open throws. And uh, so all these throws at Baker Mayfield just was not schemed open for him until, until maybe the second part of the year with Freddie Kitchens. If the Bears would have had Baker Mayfield this year and not Mitchell Trubisky, oh, my God. I mean, the, the Bears still blew a couple games and should have got a first-round buy. If they'd had Mayfield it, with Matt Nagy, and it, it would have been, they would have been so much better. man. I mean, he's so much better than Mitchell Trubisky already. And that could same goes true with Goff. I mean, Goff is a, a good player. Baker Mayfield's so much better than Jared Goff. And here's why. Baker Mayfield has so much more pocket. He has so much better presence in the pocket. His instincts inside the pocket are so much better. His escapability. I think he's slightly more athletic than Jared Goff. Got a better arm than Jared Goff. Jared Goff has a very accurate ball, too. He's thrown some beautiful balls this season. Yeah, he threw some dimes in the Super Bowl. Yeah. He did. In the Super Bowl? Uh, I said said some dimes. I'm just that's, that's, I mean I think back to you know there's a few games like that Chiefs game he had a, had a yeah. ton of dime. oh he was you know, great that Viking the Vikings game on Thursday night he was dropping dime where after Baker dime. Mayfield I mean, is Goff. where Baker Mayfield is obviously better than Jared Goff is in the processing of information while the play is going on and look no yes. look no further than the play that Jared Goff had a wide open uh, who was it in the back of the end zone Brandon Cooks Brandon Cooks that he missed for about three seconds. And the fact that, and you know, he missed them and that, that, uh, that allowed Devin McCourty to get back and, and break up the pass. That's a play mm-hmm. that just would have been a wide open touchdown if Baker Mayfield was, was the quarterback in the situation. There's nothing that you can tell me that that would convince me otherwise of that. It kind of reminded me of the touchdown pass that Mayfield had in week 17 against the Ravens when he flipped the ball to himself after the snap and then hit Jarvis Landry up the seam. It looked like the same exact kind of play, and Mayfield recognized Landry right away and just threw a threw him a, a P for an easy touchdown. I think he would have probably recognized Brandon Cooks pretty pretty quickly and then just thrown a P because that ball, one, it took forever for Goff to throw it, and two, it hung up there for way too long. I mean, it was up in the air forever, and it gave uh, the defensive back time to get over there and make the play. So I think we're now transitioning – I guess that's a good transition from Baker Mayfield into the Super Bowl because now we're talking Super Bowl. And again, we talked about the Super Bowl for what, 20 minutes last podcast. I Did you end up picking the the Patriots? Oh, yeah. Of, you course, the, of course I picked the Patriots. <sighs> okay. I mean, it's shooting fish in the barrel. Like, come, in, come on, everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I, I'm sorry, but the reason why, the main reason why I was picking the Patriots was because in a game like that, you could not you could not give me any amount of money to pick Jared Goff <laughs> over Tom Brady, and that was the that was the obvious difference in the game. Yeah, but you could have said the same thing last year. Oh, you can't give me any amount of money to take Nick Foles over Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean and that's a good point, but it, it didn't work out. Yeah, but also you know, Tom Brady also threw for like five hundred and fifty yards and four touchdowns in that game. Man, the Eagles' defense had a better season last year than the Rams' defense did, and just got shredded by the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And the Rams' defense was, I mean, it wasn't terrible. I mean, the Rams have all those big-time players on the defensive line. They got some decent players in secondary. But, man, that Rams' defense showed up and shut down the Pats for the most part with the exception of a couple plays. I thought there were some really interesting little wrinkles that Wade Phillips implemented for that game, most notably 
how their rush linebackers and defensive ends would peel off on New England's running backs out of the backfield. I thought that was really clever. Um, and, and, and probably something really only the Rams can do because they have, a, they have guys like Dante Fowler who are athletic enough to run with James White in space like that. I thought that was really clever because that's a massive, massive part of New England's offense. That was a complete yeah. non-factor against the Rams. Yeah, and how about Fowler? They picked him up middle of the year, and he ended up being an incredibly impactful player for, I almost said St. Louis, for, for L.A. But, yeah, I mean, it was just it was tough to watch Jared Goff and just the lack of adjustments made by Sean McVay. And, I mean, three points. And it's, it's even more damning because it's not like they were kind of getting blown out of the water and they kind of got behind and they had to kind of scrap everything and they were just playing from behind the entire time and they had to, they got one dimensional The game was tied for the most part, the entire game. It was always one possession. So it, the Rams had plenty of opportunities to continue to be creative, uh, stick with whatever game plan they wanted. They didn't have to get desperate and they just could not figure it out. And it, I mean, that's a, that I can't I can't tell if that's more of an indictment on Jared Goff or more of an indictment on Sean McVay in that game. Or the same you know, Sean McVay after the game was talking about how he, he got out coached. He admitted, yeah, I got out coached. True, obvious. And he said he was kind of numb. I kind of feel the same way about that game. Obviously, I'm not as invested as I was of the Rose Bowl between OU and Georgia, but I sure would like to be a fly on the wall and and listen to hear what Sean McVay was saying or would be saying to himself or his coaching staff when they go back and watch the film of that game and like where he wishes he would have done things differently and what he was thinking here and there. Just the same way that I wish I wish I could sit in with Lincoln Riley and go back through the second half of the, the Rose Bowl and then just be like, hey, so like what's going on here? With I just and I, obviously that, that comes across as me thinking, oh, I'm smarter than Lincoln Riley. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just just to get into his head. I'd love to hear and get his take from it because it's just it's it's such a big part of football and I love the X's and O's and the football junkie stuff and I'd love to get inside their head of what he was thinking then same with Sean McVay yeah and uh everybody who is listening to this go to go to Lee's Twitter page and he he retweeted a thread uh by by someone who did a really good statistical breakdown of the Super Bowl um and and basically what the what the thesis is or, or what the the summary of it is is that against against certain personnel groupings the Patriots were honestly one of the worst defenses in the NFL against twelve personnel. I think is is is, is what it was, um, which means one running back, two tight ends. Yep, and the Rams completely refused to run anything out of twelve personnel when they've been the most successful this season throwing the ball out of twelve personnel, and they just didn't really do that at all against New England. So they kind of played right into New England's hands. It's a really interesting uh, write up. I w- I would go and and check it out. Um, just yeah, I mean, you can't you can't read it without coming to the conclusion that uh, Sean McVay and the Rams coaching staff just laid a giant egg. The guy is Warren Sharp, and he runs Sharp Football. So some of you may follow him on Twitter. He's he's real good. He's interesting, and I read up some of his write ups before the Super Bowl, just trying to get some ideas. And he he said that he talked about how the Rams and everyone that watches the NFL and pays attention somewhat probably have heard that the Rams and Sean McVay for the most part like to run a lot of 11 personnel no team in the NFL runs out of 11 personnel more which means one running back one tight end and that way they can kind of go hurry up they can go tempo and they run a lot of the same stuff and they just kind of get your eye discipline they, they test it they got, they got got motion guys here and there but most of their plays are out of 11 personnel but what 
this Warren Sharp guy noticed, and he's a big analytics guy and just numbers and doing exactly what he did in that that thread, if you go follow it, is that he brought this up before the Super Bowl about how, oh, if the Rams want to have a lot more success, they should keep running plays out of 12 personnel because the pages aren't very good at it. And at the end of the season, the latter half of the season, when the Rams kind of had to change up their offense a little bit because Gurley kind of got banged up, as we all know, that's a weird situation. They went to more 12 personnel down the stretch and had more and more success with it. And then the Super Bowl came, and I believe Warren Sharp points out that they only ran three plays the entire game out of 12 personnel. And one of those three plays was that pass to Brandon Cooks that was knocked away. That should have been a touchdown if Jared Goff would have recognized it sooner. And the other two plays they ran out of 12 personnel, I think, were positive plays. I think one play got like nine yards, and the other one might have got a first down. So they had some success out of it. And what it was is 12 personnel, what they did normally, they had the extra tight end, and they would just allow them to have extra guys in their blocking and they give Jared Goff a little more time to throw. That's simply all it was. There's one fewer person out on a route. But the way the Patriots and their defensive line linebackers, they're able to to hide stuff so well at the line of scrimmage, and they're able to to stunt guys and stem guys and, and loop guys around that it's tough to pick up. But when you have that extra blocker in there, you have more of a chance of maybe picking up an extra rusher and gave Goff more time to throw. But they just didn't do it a whole lot. They only did it less than a handful of times in that game, which was uh, puzzling to this Warren Sharp guy, and he – put up all the numbers to back it up and he even again he before the game he talked about how they should have done that and they didn't and i yeah, that's good stuff yeah and i i mentioned this to you as well but i you have to wonder if um you know todd Gurley is and i don't i mean obviously what was going on with todd Gurley is weird i i don't think you can look at that in any other way but think that he's, he's just not healthy uh, otherwise i don't understand why he wouldn't be uh honestly the main part of your entire game plan so I, I have to think that he just was not healthy at all since he got hurt a couple months ago. So because Lee, um, the, the the Patriots are arguably the worst team in the in the league covering running backs out of the backfield, and the Warren Sharp guy goes over that with statistics as well. And if if you want to think, I feel back, like a jerk. We're calling him the war. His name is Warren Sharp. His name is Warren Sharp. <laughs> the Warren Sharp guy. Sorry, yeah, that. <laughs> Sorry, Warren. No, no disrespect to to Ward. He's. He's got good stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off. Keep, and so, keep yeah, going. And, if, and if you remember two weeks ago in the AFC Championship game, that's when the Chiefs kind of started to move it on the Patriots is when they started throwing it to Damian Williams out of the backfield. And the reasoning for that is that because the Patriots still put two 260-pound linebackers out there who were really just there for run support. Um, the Rams could not leverage that advantage whatsoever, and I, I have to think... A big part of that has to be with Gurley not being healthy. That's a guy who caught 60 passes this year and caught 80 the year before that. That one of the reasons, or one of the one of the things that makes the Rams' offense go is the is the matchup nightmares that Todd Gurley presents out of the backfield, very much like Demarco Murray used to in Oklahoma's offense. Um, so if you take that away, that's I mean that's a huge ace in the hole that you're taking away from what I think was the highest scoring offense in the league or uh, the second highest scoring offense in the league this year behind Kansas city. That's, I mean, that's a big deal. Um, still then when your defense plays as well as they did and they gave it 13 points, I, I still think the Rams should have won that game. If, if they would have come in more prepared, I, I think they should have won. Um, but also you got to give new England credit because if, if, if there's one guy lead that I'm picking, to to shut down like a big spread offense for any one game. If I if I had my choice of anyone, it's I'm I'm taking Belichick. Uh, there's there's just no doubt in my mind. And it just makes you wonder though, 
what happened last year against the Eagles. I mean, Nick Foles made a lot of nice throws, and Alshon Jeffrey made some nice plays, but they just RPO'd him to death, and they just were better than the Pats well, last year. The and, RPOs, and, they, they were know, able to take advantage of you know their big linebackers in the middle with the RPOs, and then other than that, man, Nick Foles just played out of his mind in that game. He was dropping yeah. dimes, and... Um, there was another really good piece that I sent you um, by a guy I've mentioned on this podcast numerous times, Ian Boyd. He's a Texas guy, but likes to write a, a lot of schematic stuff, just football in general. And and he made the point that it, it does kind of seem like in the years uh, the Patriots have won the Super Bowls, it's it's the years where they have a really good secondary, where they have a, a corner that they can lean on um, to shut down you know one side of the field. So in the early 2000s, it was Ty Law and Asante Samuel. Um, this time around, it's been Malcolm Butler and Darrell Rivas for that one year. Now, if you remember, Malcolm Butler, for whatever reason, just got benched for the Super Bowl last year. Um, and and I think there's probably a pretty good argument to be made that if Malcolm Butler plays in that game, the, the Patriots may have won. So, I mean, this year you had Stephon Gilmore, who was the, the best corner in the NFL per pro football focus. And then you just you have the McCourty twins who are just really solid, good veterans. And Patrick Chung, which is his kind of played the the nickel hybrid role for New England and they just they, they had a really good secondary this year and, and you know if your secondary plays well especially on that stage you can make life tough on anybody and I think I brought it up last week or two weeks ago when it comes to the Patriots and Tom Brady it's just incredible how they've been able to just kind of figure out how to navigate through the NFL season and get to the playoffs and get to the Super Bowl because the Patriots this season they weren't all that great they were not that good of a football team I mean, they got embarrassed by the Lions, embarrassed by the Titans, lost three other games, uh, blew that game to the Dolphins. Just All five of their losses, Lee, were to non-playoff teams. Yeah. I mean, just a, kind of a pedestrian 11-5 and five, still got a bye because the AFC, outside, I mean, because of basically because of the Chiefs and the Chargers were in the same division, which if this was the NBA... Because I did the Chargers end up going at twelve and four, thirteen and three, or something like that. I think they were thirteen and three. So I mean, if this was like the NBA, you know, and it was just one through six in the playoffs, I mean, they would have been Chiefs one, Chargers two, and then the Patriots would have been, I guess, would have been three or four and not had a bye. But anyways, that's beside the point. But they're just they figured out how to maneuver their way into the playoffs. They usually get that first round bye because they always win their division, and. I, Lee, I think it's, they turn it into a three-game season. I think it's the same story every year when they get to this point. Once they get to the playoffs, everyone zigs and the Patriots zag. That's what it is. And, and I think you whatever that means. Well, it, it means that it means that whatever other teams expect them to do, they do not do. And they they specifically build game plans regardless of the personnel that they have to attack your weaknesses. And for whatever reason, and I'm not saying, and of course, I'm sure other other teams and other coaching staffs attempt to do that, but for whatever reason, Bill Belichick and his staff, they have found out the perfect formula to be able to do that on a consistent basis. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's at the point now where I, yeah, I just, I kind of just have to tip my cap. And we said in the last podcast, I, I do think this, um, the three titles in, in this decade, the 2010s, I think this is absolutely more on Brady than anything else. Um, but geez, I just, the way that Bill Belichick was able to scheme his defense going up against those, those three teams in this playoffs. I mean, this is, that was the, the lineup of teams that the Patriots played in this playoffs. That's a freaking murderer's row. They played the three best offenses in the NFL. 
Yeah. And that's insane. Yeah. So, you know, I just hats off. They they earned that Super Bowl all day long. And um, still, I mean, by far the luckiest sports franchise easily in the history of professional sports. Uh, but at a certain point, you just got to tip your cap. Makes you kind of wonder, though. I mean, this is a cliche by now. D Ford, <laughs> he's not off sides. Exactly. Yeah. Pats aren't even in that game. Mm-hmm. That, that goes after that luck. Uh, just one random kind of thing. You mentioned last year and you know how the eagles kind of shredded the patriots defense uh, what's the difference between last season i mean aside from the, the patriot uh, eagles and rams i mean matt patricia was the dc last year and now he's gone and brian flores was the dc this year and the defense was so much better in the super bowl it makes you wonder i yeah i know belichick is belichick but are we kind of shortchanging brian flores because maybe he was actually behind that quite a bit and slowing down the Rams because Matt Patricia was in charge last year. Belichick was there and the defense was terrible against the Eagles. I'm, so, I'm going to go ahead and assume that it's all, it's all Belichick because whenever one of his assistant coaches leave, they don't ever have any, anywhere near the amount of success they had in new England. Um, I can you outside of Nick Saban, can you think of anyone from, from Belichick's tree that's been successful? No, no. Yeah, no, I know. And generally that's true. I'm just saying perhaps maybe we're, shortchanging him but he's going to the Dolphins Flores and he's not gonna have a quarterback so you know who 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 knows I mean who knows what they're gonna grab I guess they're gonna move on from Tannehill basically but, I'm know. just gonna I I don't know I'm I'm gonna do the Homer thing and I'm gonna give all the credit last year from Philadelphia's Super Bowl to Frank Reich who of course is the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts right now um he just knew I think he he knew exactly how to attack that that defense and which gives me gives me a lot of hope for, for my Colts in the future because they 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 moved the ball very well on New England when they played in Foxborough earlier this year. So, just saying. All right, let's see. Is that it? Anything else on the tip of your tongue? Anything else in your mind? Not really. I'm just... Do we need to talk about the generic uh, Super Bowl talking points outside of the game about how everyone is complaining about how it was too boring and how the commercials weren't very good? Because yeah, I mean, I gotta admit that the this was really boring. People it kind of annoy me because it's like, okay, then stop watching and get off Twitter or get off Facebook. Like I don't, I don't need you to sit here and watch the entire game and keep telling me that it's really boring. Because why are you watching still? Yeah, that's a good point. See, I, I, I can, I think two things can be true at once in this. I like, I, I thought it was a pretty uncompelling game from 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 beginning to end, but I was never bored watching it. Not once. So I think a lot of it, too, comes from the fact that that's your last football game. You know, this is it. It's such a spectacle. And it was always in doubt. I mean, the game was never a blowout. It was always a one possession game or tied. So basically every single snap kind of seemed like it had some sort of uh, meaning to the game. Yeah. You know what? Let's I I will say this. I thought the fourth quarter was pretty good. I, I thought it was a pretty good fourth quarter. Both teams moved the ball, and there were some really consequential plays. Um, people calling it the worst Super Bowl ever have very, very short memories, is all I have to say. Um, they, I mean, just just a handful of years ago, that the the Panthers Broncos Super Bowl was awful. That game that was a game completely dominated by Denver, and there was not a lot of points scored. Um, what about the Seahawks Broncos? Yeah, the year, the that year before that, that was terrible. Where the Seahawks won by thirty. Um, the See her Bucks and Raiders in the early 2000s was terrible. Ravens Giants was terrible. Uh, there's been a lot of really bad. We've we've been really spoiled in the last kind of 15 years with just some dynamite Super Bowls. 
Uh, it doesn't always work out that way. And, and you know, mm-hmm. this year we were certainly reminded of that. Yeah. Kind of weird. A couple penalties went against. It seemed like went against the Rams in that game, too. Like that early one, that was, you know, it, uh, I can't remember. The very first penalty of the game when Nikel Roby Coleman tackled, I think, James White, and they called a roughing Oh yeah, that was weird. Like uh, that. It was uh, it was Burkhead. Um, okay, Burkhead. Yeah, yeah I mean, that matter, was. But. I mean, it was about to be like third and third and twenty or something like that, and then it was a free first down for the Patriots. I, I don't know if that was the drive where they went down and could kick the field goal, or if maybe Goskowski missed a field goal there. But I mean, I know it was early enough in the game, so whatever. But Goskowski know, missed his first one, so I think that that's when that. So happened. maybe. So yeah, that was kind of. I mean, I know it was early in the game. People kind of forget about that, but that was still pretty weak. Because, you know, who knows field position-wise if something else would have happened. And then also, too, there was that kind of phantom holding call against the Rams on one of Gurley's biggest plays of the game. Oh, yeah. The, I think the fourth quarter. Yeah, that was really... That wiped out, I think, a 20-yard run by Gurley. That was a complete phantom call. They, like, nothing They happened. called it on the center. Nothing... Yeah. Yeah, nothing happened. So, I mean, no... And I can't recall. I mean, maybe I'm just kind of blinded to it. I can't recall any... I guess maybe the, the Rams' long completion that... They didn't review uh, because the Rams went up and snapped the ball pretty quickly. I suppose that could be a call f- that went against the Patriots. I guess they also, yeah, they they yeah. also missed a uh, a pretty blatant personal foul on Aaron Donald too. Um, especially, I mean, according to the new rules, it, it was obvious Brady was standing straight up. He didn't have the ball in his hands, and and Aaron Donald ragdolled him to the ground. That should have been a flag based off the new rules. Um, they got away with that one. I mean, crew um, they. They didn't want to throw the flags a whole lot, which is not surprising which is considering what happened in the conference championship. Totally game. fine Plus with me. Totally it's the fine Super Bowl with me. Too. Yeah, they love um, playing the Super Bowl. Yeah, but of course, you know is, that's something that the Patriots take advantage of. Yeah, you, you know, every single time though that the uh, that the Patriots got a break with a call or something in that game, the uh, like the ten Saints fans that were watching, you know, they were saying, "Ball don't lie, man. Ball don't lie." <laughs> the ten, yeah, and that's true because I think what half of New Orleans compared to last year watched. Yeah, so. they had they did have like Good the lowest. They had the lowest ratings of like any major American city. So yeah, they they really didn't watch. Good for them, I guess. I I mean it's just yeah. whatever. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. Um that's all yeah, there's not a whole lot to talk. It's disappointing because the game was on our ch- my channel where I work, and it was the one of the lowest rated Super Bowls of, of the last I think ten years. Well, since uh no, it was the lowest ain't... rated one since two thousand and three, I saw this morning. Uh. So, yeah, that wasn't too great for business. Uh, kind of would have rather it not been like that. But, uh, well, you know, who knows? You uh, you win some, you lose some. I don't know. Should we talk about, uh, should we talk about that, um, that five-second clip that C.D. Lamb posted online of, of him and Jalen Hurts <laughs> playing catch, the one that I watched 50 times for, what, for some reason? I don't even know why. Let me, let me see if I can just Google it real fast to get, a, get a, uh, another look at it. Yeah, I just like I actually remember Was it like a ridiculous catch by Lamb. He like It was a back shoulder. Yeah, he had to kind of go around and I don't even know if it was a good throw or not. I can't really tell. Maybe that's why I watch it so many times, just trying to decide whether or not it was a good or bad throw. But Yeah, I'm pretty annoyed by clips like that because it's almost like they cut them so short on purpose. So you're always kind of like, "Oh, what kind of happened there? Oh, that looked cool, but I'm not so sure." It's like just give it some Give it some like time to breathe from the be- at the end and at the beginning. Come on, yeah, like this is that should have been a ten second clip, not a five yeah, second clip. I agree. 
This is like this is how starved I am, just like for any sort of information <laughs> or or whatever. Like I I actually kind of turn into one of those people. Like I. Anytime I see Jalen Hurts doing anything with the team, like on social media, like in videos or pictures, I get excited. I feel like a fangirl. <laughs> it's uh, stupid. I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not proud of it, guys. I'm not happy about it, but I, it, it excites me. That's all. We'll see. Let's go over the timetable real quick. We got signing day. If you're listening to this podcast on the day it comes out, you have signing day today. Traditional signing day. Okay, fine. And then we got about eh, a month. We got about a month or so. Maybe a month and a half. You know, actually, we got about a month-ish, maybe five weeks, and then we'll have pro days. We'll have the pro day. We'll have OU pro day at some point in the middle of March. Normally, it's it's middle of March or maybe like right around the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. That's when they normally do them. And then after pro day, I mean, spring ball will start a week or two after that. And this sometimes spring ball is already even going on when uh, pro day happens. Didn't last so, year, didn't they have like – I thought like they didn't they didn't they did like a pretty weird schedule last year because I think with spring ball it's like isn't it like you can only you can just practice 15 times I think it is what it is 15 sounds right and you yeah. have to like it, you don't actually have to do it like over the course of two weeks you can just you can spread it out over the course of like two months if you want and I think yeah. they I think they sort of did something like that last year I think they mm. spread spread out the 15 practices over the course of like a month and a half but I, I, I guess can't. I don't remember. I mean, we can't yeah. go to practice. I mean, they they let us go to get some interviews and things like that. But obviously, we can only go to Ooh, one or two practices. Lincoln Riley just tweeted the eyes, the eyeballs. So there's a there's a new commit. That's what that means. Assuming it's 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 one of either Danielson Ek or Brandon Pierce. But <laughs> okay, I don't know. All right. Well, I I think I think we're scraping the bottom of the barrel now. We're uh, we're at our obligatory ninety plus minutes of the podcast. So hopefully, this has uh, been somewhat enjoyable for everyone out there your weekly dose of west of ever so again we appreciate all the support that's our show we'll be back next week to talk all about the oklahoma secondary and alex grinch's defense and also anything interesting that happened on national signing day and of course anything else that just kind of catches our eye in the world of sports that'll all be next week until then for grant i am lee this is west of everest